Grab your mason jars, strap on that apron. It's time for Canning with the Diva. Making her mark across the globe. Teaching you how to safely preserve delicious recipes. Please welcome your host, Diane Devereaux, the Canning Diva. Hey there, welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to Canning with the Diva. I am Diane Devereaux, the Canning Diva, and I want to thank you all for your patience. I had to take a bit of a hiatus after returning from vacation, so I know uh, you all have been anxiously awaiting my next episode, and I thank you so very much, and uh, I appreciate the emails and messages wondering, you know, what's the next topic? So, I just love growing this this community with all of you. So be sure to subscribe to my podcast, Canning with the Diva, so that way you are notified every time I launch a new episode. So we're going to get back into a normal routine here. And uh, weekly uh, episodes are going to be launched. And I wanted to talk today specifically about tomato canning season. And for those of you tuning in, and you're from the Midwest like me, we have been anxiously awaiting the Roma tomato harvest. And we're looking at about another week here. We should have a plethora of those beautiful red Roma tomatoes because most of us do tend to gravitate to the Roma when we're canning. But we're going to focus on a variety of different tomatoes because depending on where you're tuning in from, you know, what this acidity is there, what your weather has been like. We don't know what is going to necessarily come to harvest and be readily available, and we might have to switch gears. So we're going to talk today about the tomato, the various types of tomato, what works best for canning, but what we can make work when we're home canning, because there isn't any wrong tomato, if you will. Some are going to produce different flavors. Some will have different uh, textures. Some will have thicker skin than others. Uh, many tomatoes will have a higher water content than others. So we're going to kind of touch in on that today because I know, like many of you, uh, you're gearing up. And I'm also going to share today my uh, basil diced tomato recipe for all of you listening in. I think this one is, uh, you know, I can say very easily, it's the most versatile uh, tomato canning recipe. And the reason I now gravitate towards this instead of, you know, stewed tomatoes or even just plain diced tomatoes is because the ingredients blend well with just about anything. I, I can't think of a recipe that would call for a diced tomato where this couldn't be used. So I'm going to share that recipe with all of you today. Uh, for those of you new to pressure canning, this is a great place to start. If you haven't you know, gotten the nerve yet to get your pressure canner out and start using it, my basil diced tomato recipe is the perfect recipe to get used to your canner, to you know, get used to your stovetop, because again, every stovetop is a bit different when we're operating a pressure canner. So there are some variances. And, you know, just familiarize yourself with your pressure canner because after tomatoes, we're going to go right into 
full harvest of a variety of vegetables, you're going to want to have, you know, the, the, the qualms and the fears and all of that, that tension subsided because, you know, clear into the end of the year, we're going to be canning all kinds of recipes that really do work better with a pressure canner. And uh, for those of you tuning in from other countries where pressure canners are not readily available, not to worry, water bathing is just fine. It's suitable. Yes, you understand being you know familiar with the water bathing that you have to process for much, much longer. Uh, we're going to focus on pressure canning, but that doesn't mean that these recipes I'm, I'm talking about you, you can't, uh, you know, water bathe them. Of course you can. You just know that your processing time is going to be very much longer because you're only using boiling water temperatures. Okay, so let's first start with the tomato. Now, in most of my recipes, those of you who have followed me for a while, you're going to see that I really do favor the Roma, which aroma is also called a plum tomato. Uh, the reason this is just I think one of the best uh, tomato varieties to preserve in a jar. It's because they have a more meaty interior. They're less water. They're much more dense. So you're getting a higher yield, even though they typically are smaller than larger, you know, larger uh, beef steak or, or uh, brandy wine um, tomatoes, but they also have a thinner skin. And so more often than not, I, alleviate the blanching and the peeling of my tomatoes because I, I gravitate towards that Roma or plum tomato. And if you don't like skin, if this is now becoming a textural situation, you can most certainly blanch and, and peel your Roma tomatoes. But because of, you know, me personally, that preference, I don't mind that thinner skin. Um, I just chop them up and use them in the recipes, whether it's a salsa, whether it's in this case, the basil diced tomatoes, soups, stews. Um, it just saves me a lot of that prep work. So that is typically what I gravitate towards. And I find that it takes, you know, three average or medium sized Roma tomatoes to yield one cup. And I know that, you know, depending on what you're making, you could wind up with 30 pounds of Romas before you have your sauce done. But Again, because we're alleviating that blanching step, it's easy peasy. Now, for those of you who don't grow or buy Roma tomatoes and you stick more towards the brandy wines, the beef steaks, those are also called canning tomatoes, not a problem. Um, your yield is still high. The tomato is usually you know, ginormous. Um, the skin is a bit thicker though. And so these are the varieties that we want to blanch in hot water, cool immediately in ice cold water and watch the skin just peel away. And um, I can't really disguise the thickness of those skins in canning recipes, even pureeing them. I still feel that texture. So I definitely go through the peeling process. Now there was one summer, I'm not going to lie. Oh my gosh, this was like crazy for me. I remember here in Michigan, we had one of the hottest, driest summers just a few years ago. And, you know, I, I can so many tomatoes. I rely on my local farmers and I, I, I support their, their farms by buying their produce. And I'll never forget the day I called to, you know, place my order. Cause I usually, 
I usually can upwards of six to eight bushels of tomatoes a year, whether it be, you know, the basil diced tomato recipe or a variety of uses, sauces, you name it. And I called up and she goes, oh my goodness, our crop just did not produce. The Romas just couldn't handle the heat. But I do have a plethora of canning tomatoes, you know, beefsteaks. And I was like, well, okay, let's, let's make that work. And I was quickly reminded why I love my Romas, but I still had a beautiful sauce. I still had a very delicious sauce. I still had, you know, everything I needed from the tomato. And, and it really just meant a little bit more prep work. When I say blanching and peeling, I want to give you a little step, uh, a little tip, I should say, because that summer I had to blanch and peel. I think that summer it was like eight bushels of canning tomatoes. I really had to like maximize my time. And so one of the things that I write about and talk about when it comes to this step is taking a paring knife after you've cleaned your tomatoes, of course. And while you've got that water boiling, getting, you know, your blanching basket, what have you, um, take your paring knife and flip the tomato over to its underside and score it with an X. You don't have to cut deep into the flesh, but you need to cut through the skin and that membrane under the skin. And you literally just, just cut an X. And the reason I want you to start with this step is because if you treat it like an assembly line and you go through all of your tomatoes that you're blanching and you just, you spend your time creating an X right after they're washed, X, 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 at the base of every tomato. When you then take those, those tomatoes over to the stove to start your blanching process, you will be so happy <laughs> because you're no longer standing over the sink after you've, you know, blanched them for, depending on the size of the tomato and the density, you, you may be blanching upwards of a minute. Uh, smaller tomatoes may take a little less time, but your, your hearty beef steak and brandy wine, they're going to take, you know, a good minute in that boiling water, especially if you're adding, you know, four, eight, 10, depending on the size of your pot. Uh, but the beauty of this little X crosshair tip is you now have a visual indicator while you're looking into that stock pot to test and see, okay, where are we at with this peeling process? The folds of the X will start to flap open. That's your visual indicator. Sometimes, you know, when you're coring these tomatoes, of course, as well, you can start to see a bit of that flap uh, come up from around, uh, you know, the, the cord area. It's tricky though, because typically they're going to flip upside down and you don't get to see that unless you're, you're agitating the water. But after that timer goes off, if the flap of that crosshair hasn't, you know, slightly, uh, opened, you know, then to give it an additional 30 seconds because you are avoiding having to stand at the sink when we doss them into cold water, which is, we do that because we want to stop the cooking, right? We are we are cooking them in essence very quickly. It's flash cooking. Um, we are going to submerge them in cold water. It stops the cooking. It also kind of um, helps remove that peel. Um, back in the day before the crosshair, we would literally be standing there for hours having to pick with our fingernails and pull the skin off. This, this X helps that boiling hot water get under that membrane, making it so much easier to remove. Nine times out of 10, what happens is, is you bring it over to 
the sink that has the ice cold water waiting for you, you douse them in and the skin li literally is slipping right off. And that's a huge blessing because if you're like me and you use the month of August and September to just full on tomato everything, you really want to speed up that process. So this Crosshair X, I highly encourage you, no matter what tomato you're canning, as you're cleaning them, coring them, insert that crosshair before blanching and you are going to save yourself a lot of time. Um, now, again, with the Romas, I don't necessarily do that. And the Romas, um, I don't I don't peel them. I can even make my basil um, tomato soup, which is pureed. And it chops up that skin so fine, I don't notice its texture. So as you are, well, it's kind of late from a growing standpoint per se, but, you know, as you're planning your canning, canning calendar, excuse me, um, earlier in the year, many of you are also planning your gardening calendar. So it may be too late from a garden perspective, depending on where you live, of course, um, but utilize your farmer's markets in the event that you do not have a garden or you have a garden and you went heavy on the canning tomatoes, you know, you can still get access to those Romas pending. I mean, this year they're saying it's going to be a bumper crop. So I'm super excited about that. Um, otherwise I would be in the boat. Uh, I was a few years ago of buying bushels of the beef steaks and just cranking them out and making it work. Um, Next year, when you're planning your garden, um, I would highly suggest incorporating some Roma tomatoes that you can, you know, yes, they're amazing fresh, but that you can plan ahead for some of your canning recipes like my basil diced tomatoes. Um, I really do believe you, after hearing it today, I'm going to get you excited. And this is something that you are going to want to preserve year after year. Okay, so we talked about the two types of tomatoes. Yes, there are many. And I got a question recently from somebody I want to make sure I answer uh, in today's episode because it's a valid question It's and I, and I do get it often. And I know if it's being asked, it could also be weighing on your mind. Many of you planted cherry tomatoes. And you did so earlier in the year. They started, they've been coming in. And you are about at your max of eating them fresh. You've given them to neighbors. You have so many cherry tomatoes, you just do not know what to do with them. And so I was recently asked, you know, can I, can I can these? Do I, I, I don't want to take the time to blanch them. I feel like doing so they're going to explode. Right. And I'm just going to waste a lot of time. And, and that assumption is correct. Blanching these is, is virtually impossible. You might as well just leave them all in the pot of boiling water and, and start creating a soup because when those skins pop off, you know, all of their really um, li liquid inside, you know, they don't have as much flesh, right? I mean, how many of you have popped a cherry tomato in your mouth and it's like a gush of amazing tomato juice, right? They don't have a high flesh content. So blanching them is not going to happen if you don't mind their thicker skin because they do have thick skin, which is, which is what is holding in all that water. So whether it's this tiny little cherry tomato or that large, brandy wine or beefsteak, that skin is thick for a reason. It's because of all of that water. It's got to be held in somehow, right? Um, that's why the Roma's skin is thinner because it has a fleshier content, less water, okay? 
those cherry tomatoes can easily be preserved in a jar just as you would a whole canning tomato. Okay, so for those of you who like to use your cherry tomatoes in cooking, you have grown a whole bunch, you don't know what to do with them all, you can process them just as you would at the same time and temperature using the same amount of lemon juice, covering them with water. You may do that using a water bather because again, the tomatoes, it's the the same concept. It's just a smaller size. Um, Definitely can up those cherry tomatoes. I have even advised and have seen the success of using them when you're making your sauces, when you're making your uh, variety of recipes that incorporate the tomatoes. If you have a couple quarts of cherry tomatoes sitting on hand and you just, the thought of eating them fresh has your mouth hurting, right? Um, Go ahead and use them in your sauce. If you're pureeing or fine chopping your tomatoes when you make salsa, go ahead and use them. You know, if, if you are enjoying eating them fresh, you're going to enjoy eating them canned because you know that that skin doesn't bother you, right? Um, chop them if you can, throw them, pulse them through a food processor if that makes you uh, feel that you're dispersing that, you know, that skin a bit better. But um, by all means, um, you can use your cherry tomatoes, especially if you got very ambitious as one of uh, you have who reached out to me and you planted 15 cherry tomato plants. (laughs) I think to be be fair, uh, this individual um, may have gotten the seed packets or the seeds mixed up and uh, thought she was planting uh, romas uh, as they were, you know, growing and, and uh, sprouting their beautiful flowers. She's like, wait a minute, this isn't what, (laughs) this isn't what a Roma looks like. And before, lo and behold, before she knew it, she had 15 pretty decent sized cherry tomato plants. So by all means, they are, you know, um, tender enough. They have a, a, a medium thickness of a skin. Um, they're, they're sweet. So, you know, that is also a fun, natural way to sweeten your sauces. Um, by all means, use your cherry tomatoes. Okay. So let me switch gears here to the recipe. And then we'll talk a little bit more about tomatoes and canning them. Um, let's see here. So the recipe, before I dive in fully, I want to share a tip, another tip with all of you. Um, tomatoes have a high acid content. Yes. Problem is, is there's so many varieties. It's, it's, it's not like we can just blanketly say the pH of a tomato is this. Um, A lot of it depends on the soil, the growing conditions, the location on the planet, you know, where they come from, Um, you know, hybrid versus heirloom. So one of the tips that us canners use is we increase the acid. And I know some of you are scratching your head. You're like, but I've never had to do that before. Why would I do that now? You don't have to. Okay. It's, It's an added safeguard. Uh, the beauty of it is you're, you don't taste the additional acid. And when I speak of acid, it's lemon juice. And adding just a little bit of lemon juice to each jar, it doesn't change the flavor of the tomato. It just heightens the acidic value. So for those of you experimenting in the garden with a, a, a different varieties, um, you know, this, this might be sound advice to make sure that 
because of their differentiation, you are giving them that leg up, if you will. Um, so write this down if you guys are taking notes. It is, I don't want to use the word protocol. That's such a sterile world word, excuse me. Um, it's just a really good habit, I think, to get into for us canners. Write this down that you are going to put a tablespoon of lemon juice into every pint jar and two tablespoons of lemon juice into every quart. Just that little bit is going to heighten the acidity overall, okay, in that jar to kind of give us that uh, peace of mind because we know that unless you have a pH tester and you're testing every jar, we've done our part to increase the acid so that we know from a pH standpoint, we don't have to worry anymore. And so my biggest advice, because I have messed this up myself, <laughs> I'm going to share exactly what I did wrong when I talk about the recipe, is um, I suggest after you are pulling your jars, you know, whether it's out of the dishwasher or out of the sink, um, go ahead and put that lemon juice in first. You now can visually see, yep, that lemon juice is in the jar instead of doing it after the jars have been filled with the tomato mixture, okay? Reason being, I got really adventurous one weekend and I was doing a quadruple batch of this basil diced tomato recipe and I'm just cranking it out. I mean, I, I'm, I'm focused, you know, kids, kids are busy, everyone's out of the house, I am just focused. And so I am just cranking it out, I'm filling up the jars, I'm measuring headspace and then I'm thinking, oh wait, I wanna add the lemon juice. So I started, to do the, I was canning in pints, so I was doing a tablespoon to each jar. Mind you, the tomatoes were in there first. Then I got a phone call, <laughs> like we all do, and I had to take this call. So what I did is I thought, well, looking at this, I can remember where I left off. Nope. I got so involved in the phone call, by the time I got back to the jars on the, on the counter, that little bit of yellow was no longer there. I'm now staring at the jars, trying to remember, was I three in, 10 down? Where in the heck did I leave off? And so to avoid guessing, I just had to go back through and I just added an extra tablespoon to the ones I probably already added um, because I didn't want to miss this crucial um, added acid. And yes, I'm, you know, laughing at myself going, oh my goodness, Diane, why didn't you just take the jar out of the rows or move it so that you knew, like, I'm just kind of kicking myself. So to avoid the headache and avoid adding more acid than is even really needed, um, put it in the jar first, get that step off your plate, set it off to the side, do it just before you start filling the, the jars with the tomato mixture. Now, for those of you who've made this, I've had some feedback. First of all, it's been extremely positive. Everyone seems to really love the recipe, the basil diced tomatoes. Um, but I do have some of you questioning why we're adding acid if we're popping it in a pressure canner. And again, it's just creating this habit. It doesn't affect the flavor of the food. It's not harming it. If anything, it's that added peace of mind, not to mention we are processing this recipe for a short period of time in the pressure canner. We are doing 15 minutes for pints, 20 minutes for quarts. My processing uh, PSI is 10 pounds of pressure. For those of you in higher elevation, you know, you're going to increase that. However, 
it equivocates to about 10 minutes less than if we were water bathing this. And so we can get away with it because of the higher temperature, right? We're exceeding 240 degrees, which is crucial, right? But I wanted to make sure because we are lapping off some of that time because a pressure canner does help us can a bun, you know, can quicker, right? I wanted to still make sure I'm following this very good habit of increasing the acid. Um, plus, I think in this case, because of the ingredients, it actually does give it a good flavor. Um, it, it bodes well and blends well with the sugar, the salt, and the variety of savory ingredients like your onion, your garlic, your basil. So frankly, um, leave it in there. Don't deviate. What's, what's not broke, let's not fix it, right? Okay, so let's get into the recipe. Those of you anxiously awaiting, grab that pen and paper. What I'm going to do is I'm going to run through the ingredient list first. And then I'm going to go back through and talk about the various ingredients, what I do, um, some suggestions and tips, and then we'll get into the instructions. Okay, so to start, we are making basil diced tomatoes. They are going to yield approximately 10 pints or 5 quarts. Feel free to double, triple, quadruple. Um, there's no wrong way. I, I get it. I put upwards of about, I want to say 50 pints. And uh, if I'm guessing, I, I'm going to say about 30 quarts of this recipe. I put this up every year and it's because I use it. Um, sometimes I'll have a few jars left over from the pre previous, um, uh, season. Um, but other times, you know, I'm, I'm now, I'm like, I'm, I'm down to my last few when we start hitting July and it's like, oh my goodness, you know? Um, so take note, this is about 10 pints or five quarts yield. And here are the ingredients. Start with 16 cups of cord diced Roma tomatoes one large yellow bell pepper, one large onion, two tablespoons of fresh garlic, and you're gonna mince that up, a quarter cup of fresh basil leaves, and we're going to make sure that they're coarsely chopped, one tablespoon of sugar, two tablespoons of salt, fresh ground black pepper to taste, and then make sure you have your bottled lemon juice sitting you know, on the ready, because you're going to need 10 tablespoons worth. Okay. Now let's talk about these ingredients. Let's start with those 16 cups of diced Roma tomatoes. As I said earlier, it's going to take roughly three medium Romas to yield one cup. So doing the math, which don't laugh at me, but I'm grabbing my calculator because 16 times three is roughly 48 Romas. Okay. Uh, the large yellow bell pepper. Notice I didn't give you a cups or a quantity for the yellow bell pepper or for the onion. That is because this is not um, added for anything more than flavor. Okay. Coloring, flavoring. I didn't go overboard with either because the goal here is to, to primarily taste the tomato. The tomato is the highest ratio ingredient in this entire recipe. We're not looking to drop that at all, but if we did, it's not a big deal. Why? We're pressure canning it and we're adding acid. All right, so when I say one large yellow bell pepper, that is very relative, 
whether you're growing it, buying it, where it's coming from, um, feel free to add more or less. Same with the onion. What it comes down to is the size. What do you want to see on the end of your fork? Okay. If you don't want large chunks of bell pepper, then chop them fine. If you do not want to have large onion pieces floating about, or you do want large, chop it according to how you intend on using it. Okay. Now, with regards to the minced garlic, you can take whole cloves and mince them or go right ahead and use the pre-minced garlic. I do it all the time. I, I love having fresh garlic heads on the ready. They just don't seem to last as long as they I would like them to, of course. And you know, the drier they get, um, it, it's just I'd rather I'd rather keep the freshly minced in the refrigerator and scoop them out as I need it. Now, when I do garlic, however, I make sure I buy the peeled cloves because I love pickled garlic cloves. But that's another that's another segment. That's another episode. <laughs> All right, so f- freshly minced garlic can be right from the clove or it can be from the commercial uh, containers. It's not a big deal. Uh, do what's right for you and what you have readily available. For those of you with garlic uh, allergies, uh, you may omit this. It's not required. It's there for flavor. Now, fresh basil. I grow my own fresh basil. I know a lot of you do as well. I love having the basil flavor because I primarily use this in recipes that are calling for basil anyway. So a quarter of a cup of freshly, uh, fresh basil leaves, excuse me, that are coarsely chopped. Um, I am not requiring you to pack the, the cup full. You can do a heaping, whatever. Again, this is flavor. Its pH value has already been measured. It's not going to hinder or drop the acidic value in the recipe. Even if you were to add a full one cup of basil, it's not going to. Um, But it will dominate the overall flavor. So don't get too crazy. Uh, (laughs) The quarter cup is is a bit ambiguous. So, you know, you don't have to measure exactly. I also recommend leaving the smaller leaves whole. They are absolutely gorgeous in a jar when it's processed, and you are going to really appreciate that flavor um, when you go to use the basil diced tomatoes. Okay, so the one tablespoon of sugar, two tablespoons of salt. Sugar, again, is for flavor. Salt is, again, for flavor. If you have a um, dietary restriction, sugar is a no-no or salt is a no-no, omit them both. They are not required. They are simply for flavor. Okay, it's not going to affect the the safety of the recipe. Um, Same with black pepper. If you'd rather season your tomatoes after you have canned them and you go to use them, not a problem. Lemon juice, um, I get asked quite a bit. Okay, Diane, can I use the juice of a lemon? Honestly, because we are trying to focus on a a, uh, increased acidic amount, I wouldn't use a uh, fresh lemon. Use your bottled lemon juice. It doesn't matter what brand. Um, just make sure you're using bottled and not fresh, freshly squeezed. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the instructions. It's extremely simple. This is why I tell people start here when you are using your pressure canner for the first time. Make this simple recipe and 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 get it in the pressure canner. All right, so to start, you want a large stainless steel stock pot, and you are literally going to prep all of those ingredients, and you're going to place them into the 
stockpot. Everything except for that bottled lemon juice, okay? Get everything in there and bring it to a boil using medium-high heat. And the reason I say medium-high is you do not want to scorch those tomatoes. For those of you that have been down that path, I mean, I've done it before myself, you know, getting distracted or not stirring often enough. A scorched tomato will always taste scorched. You cannot get that. You can't get that flavor out of the recipe. It is, it is there for life. So, do not scorch this. If you want to start on medium heat and then gradually increase, by all means do so. And I highly encourage you to um, stir this very often. Now, once you get it to a boil, let's turn that heat down and let's simmer that for a good five minutes. The goal here is to blend all of the flavors together. This is now the point in time where you're going to take your clean jars that are either temperate or warm and you're going to add your lemon juice. Again, that is one tablespoon of bottled lemon juice for every pint, two tablespoons of lemon juice for every quart. Go ahead and get those in that the jars. And then using your funnel and using a slotted spoon, I want you to fill each jar with the basil diced tomato mixture. And I want you to get that to a generous one inch headspace, which is an inch and a quarter. Okay, I want you to spend your time filling those jars using the solids from this recipe. Then after your jars are filled, I want you to go back through with a ladle and take that juice from the mixture and fill each jar to a one inch headspace. You're not going to need a lot of liquid per jar because your goal is to get a higher yield of tomatoes versus liquid. Um, so go ahead and just, just even that out, fill it to a one inch headspace, wipe your jar rims with a washcloth dipped in vinegar. Okay. That's going to remove any greasy, any salty, any sugary, any food residue. It's a natural bacterial killer. So we're given, we're given those jar rims a leg up and then pop those in your pressure canner. And you're going to process at 10 pounds of pressure or according to your elevation. And you are going to process your pints for 15 minutes and your quarts for 20 minutes. Now, the reason I tell all of you to use this recipe when you're starting out pressure canning is because you, I, I get it, you're nerved up, you're nerved up, you, you, you're breaking through this fear barrier and you've got your pressure canner out, you've got it going and by the time <laughs> 20 minutes is done, you've had enough. So you can shut it off. You can let it cool down naturally to zero. And then you can pat yourself on the back because you did it. And having this shorter amount of processing time is going to, um, I think, help those of you that are already a bit, you know, nervous you know, see the simplicity of it, see, hear it, uh, watch the steam. I mean, you're going to go through each step and you are then now just having to make sure it stays within the proper PSI for 15 to 20 minutes versus starting the first time using your pressure canner and having to process for 75 or 90 minutes, which is very common, right? When we're pressure canning, I, I, I would, I would hate to put a new canner through that, <laughs> especially if they're doing this alone in their home kitchen. Let's start with a, a shorter recipe, get you through all the steps, build your confidence, and then you can tackle those longer processing time type recipes.
Now let's talk about that processing for just a minute. When I say keeping your pressure canner within that PSI range, for those of us using a dial gauge canner, we usually want to be between 11 and 13 PSI, okay? Because we know that we are within, you know, that 241 or plus temperature range. When you have a weighted gauge canner and it's rocking and, and ticking and making its, its proper sounds, knowing that you're processing properly, 10 PSI is pretty much what you're going to get. Now, it still will increase in PSI, regardless of using that 10 pound weight. Reason being, the faster it ticks and the louder it gets, you know that it's getting hotter. So you're still accomplishing the same. You're just one is a visual indicator, one is an audible indicator. And give yourself some slack. You will never, I shouldn't say never, but you're gonna you're gonna pull your hair out trying to keep a dial gauge canner exactly at 10 PSI or exactly at anything. I mean, it's, you know, it's, there's so many variables. Um, if your pressure canner likes to hover around 12 and it's just cranking fine and then there's no having to, you know, adjust your, your stove burner, leave it. It's okay. Hotter isn't worse. Hotter's better. What you don't want to do though, is start to exceed 13 PSI Okay, if you if you have no elevation, because what happens is as you start getting up 14, 15 psi, now this starts to be a little bit too hot. Again, it's not going to hurt the food, but what may happen is when molecules get hot, they get active, right? The hotter they get, the more active they get. If your elevation doesn't require 15 psi, and you're kind of bouncing back and forth between 13 to 11, and then you turn around and it jumps back up now to 14, and you're constantly, you know, swaying this dial back, forth, back, forth. What happens is, is you will experience what's called liquid loss. There is a vacuum seal taking place within our pressure canners, and that is important. We want that. Things have to get hot. Air has to come out. We then have the cooling process, when the jar starts to cool, we then sink that link, that lid down tight onto the jar rim. Boom. That is how we do long-term storage. This is how we do what we do in home canning. But if you have that dial gauge flapping all over God's green earth and you're doing this, this, this back forth, back forth, we are getting hot, cold, hot, cold, and we are literally forcing the food contents out of that jar, which means two things. You're going to lose some of the yield within each jar. That's why some of you may see that you started out with an inch of headspace and you wound up with three inches of headspace, okay? Meaning you wasted some food. And two, every time you are, are fluctuating that temperature, you're, you're putting that jar rim at risk for getting food particles up there. And what happens when that, when that happens? The lid doesn't seal. We're, we are putting barriers in the way of a solid seal. And sometimes what can happen is a false seal. It'll seal temporarily. And then during storage, after a few months, it might come unsealed because that food particle finally did the unfortunate. And it, and it broke enough of a barrier that the lid came unsealed during storage. And darn it, now you got to throw all that food out. So again, we're wasting. So um, keep that in mind. If you are experiencing some temperature fluctuations or you start to see that dial gauge going up to 14 PSI when you know it really should only be at 10 or 11, um, gently turn 
the stove knob down. Don't fast, quick do it so that you see that dial drop drastically. Drop the dial slowly, gradually. Don't be afraid. Just simply turn it down and, and allow it to maintain a PSI where it feels comfortable as long as it's not exceeding where you need to be. Now, um, for those of you who use a digital canner, I know these are becoming extremely popular. I love my Presto 12-quart digital canner. It is a mainstay in my kitchen uh, during canning season. I don't take it off the island. It stays there because I'm constantly using it. Um, it is going to process everything at, PS at 15 PSI. That is how they were able to create this unit. It maintains the 15 PSI, and, I, and that is why we don't have, you know, the siphoning and we don't have to do the dance of trying to monitor where, where that's staying on a stovetop. Um, even if your elevation doesn't require 15 PSI, because it keeps the temperature so consistent, we don't have that siphoning issue. So it's a real benefit for those of you that have been able to take advantage of it. I know you're listening, you're nodding your head, you're going, yep, I love this thing. This is exactly why I bought it. Uh, for those of you still on the fence and or struggling to find one, because I, I really um, have seen, you know, the manufacturer struggle to keep up with the demand, which, you know, it's a good problem to have, not maybe for us, but for them, um, definitely give that a try. There's the the Presto, the... Um, the Nesco is also a good one. Carrie, um, they're all really, they're all really fantastic. Uh, we'll spend another episode talking about their differences to maybe help you make a buying decision. But um, no matter what canner you're using on the stove top, um, allow the heat to naturally go down, the PSI to drop to zero. Many of them have safety mechanisms so that if you um, are done. The, the burner's been off. This mechanism will then release so that you know you can safely take the lid off. With this recipe, anticipate that taking about 30 minutes before it cools down. And once you remove the canner lid, this is my, my last tip that is just so important when you're pressure canning. Don't immediately take those jars out. Let those jars sit in the pressure canner with the lid off for at least 10 minutes. Let them sit let the activity within the jar calm down and then remove the jars and put them in a draft-free location in your kitchen. Usually what I do is I take a cutting board with one of my canning towels. I place the canning towel on the cutting board. Boom. All the jars sit on there and then they just cool for 24 hours. Um, that is my best advice to also avoid interrupting that vacuum sealing process and to avoid um, spillage or a lid not sealing. Because sometimes what's our natural um, um, movement? We take the jar lid grabber, we lift it, we tilt the jar slightly, and then we put it onto the cutting board. That small tilt could be all that's needed when the molecules and are, are, are active and, and the food is boiling inside the jar. That little bit of movement could be exactly what puts food particles up on that jar rim. So let it sit still, let it calm down, then take it out of your canner and let it cool. All right, you guys, last but not least, I know we're running pretty long here, but uh, I want to give you some fun ways in which to utilize this recipe. Um, I tell you how much I can every year and, and, and I can a lot because of how much I'm using it uh, to create meals. I, I use this when I make my chili. 
Instead of anything, basically anything that calls for a diced tomato, a plain diced tomato, you can use this. So chilies, soups, stews. Um, sometimes I will just take chicken breasts and cover, uh, you know, four chicken breasts with a pint of the basil diced tomatoes. Pop that in the oven. Um, other times I'll just heat up a pint or two of basil diced tomatoes and use that as my chunky sauce on a bed of pasta. Um, I love having this on my pantry shelf for just about any recipe I plan on making from scratch that calls for tomatoes. So, you know, the possibilities are truly endless. So I'm sure those of you who use diced tomatoes can now, you know, you're hearing the ingredients, you're hearing how I use it. You're going, okay, this is, this is going to be good. Um, once you have these basil diced tomatoes and you've eaten them, you're like, hmm, the uh, thought of a plain diced tomato just doesn't appeal to me anymore. And you're going to start getting, you know, more creative ways to use this. And uh, it gets me excited because I really, really um, enjoy this. Now, I have been asked, does it taste like a stewed tomato? And the answer is no. Stewed tomatoes have a, a green pepper in the ingredient list. This is a yellow bell pepper, which means what? It's sweeter. Okay. A green bell pepper is a, is much more pungent in flavor and the ratio is larger in stewed tomatoes. So you get, you know, that celery, that, um, bell pepper, and then the tomato mixture, you're tasting all of that. And you're doing that intentionally because some recipes you may want that flavor. So, um, you know, if you have a stewed tomato recipe, you can also pressure can that for the 15 minutes for pints, 20 minutes for quarts, and accomplish the same thing we've done here. And I do that sometimes. I have stewed tomatoes on hand because I may want more of that green pepper flavor. Again, it just depends on how you're using it. You know, baked ZDs. Um, I make goulash on my stovetop using this. You know, brown up the meat, throw in the basil diced tomatoes, uh, have the pasta, you know, cooked and drained, toss it all together, quick, easy goulash, right? So um, however you cook, just know that if it requires a tomato, this is going to be the one for you. All right, you guys, I am going to sign off here. I want to hear from you. So I want you to email me or shoot me a message on social media. My email address is diane at canningdiva.com. Uh, you can find me at Canning Diva on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, uh, you name it. I want to hear from you. Shoot me a message. Help me craft these next few months worth of podcasts because I would like to make sure that while I'm giving recipes and techniques, I'm answering your questions. I want to also make sure that if there's a specific recipe or technique you'd like to explore, let me know and let's dive in because I, I some days when I sit, uh, you know, to, to write ahead of time for the show, you know, my brain swarms with so many ideas and so many things. I want to make sure that I'm speaking you know, to what you need to hear and to what you want to learn. So by all means, shoot me an email, send me a message. Let's make this as interactive as possible. All right. Until next time, you guys, you have a wonderful uh, tomato canning season in your kitchen. Have lots of fun 
and be sure to subscribe to Canning with the Diva so you can stay connected and learn when I post my next podcast. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Canning with the Diva. For tips, recipes, and techniques, please visit us online at canningdiva.com.